Okay, welcome to the Green Team Legendarium podcast episode called Green Team Publishing Episode. I'm your host, Yeti Beats, and with me today, I have Befuddled Panda, Little Red Book. Hello. And Drew from the Inking Out Loud podcast. How's it going? So for this episode, we we thought we'd have um, a little bit of fun where we kind of... I don't know, created prompts on creating our own, think of like creating our own publishing house or maybe being our own agent uh, and picking authors, cover artists, scenarios. Um, It'll be fun. But first, I kind of wanted to talk about and get your guys' thoughts on just the genre fiction, sci-fi fantasy publishing world now and um, how you feel about it in 2021. Uh, what it could do better, if, if it can do better, the author's being published, the story's being published, um, and I'll throw it to Befuddled if you want to start. Um, I'm not very qualified to speak on this topic, so everything I say is just That's my own is. observation. <laughs> yeah, Drew is probably the Drew's most qualified out of all of us. <laughs> um but what i am really excited about is like there has been more diversity in the sci-fi fantasy um works that are getting published and it's not just like you know the ethnicity or like gender but it's more more like the types of stories that are getting published um and you know there's stigma around sff and it's seen by a lot of people as a lesser um work of literature or maybe not even considered you know literature with a capital l um but i think we've seen like really well done works that they just transcend um the genres and people want them people love them so i'm excited about the future of it i do hope that traditional publishing becomes more you know becomes more diverse we are seeing a lot of diversity in self-pub um but i hope traditional publishing gets even more diverse that's me what about you drew yeah i i think panda's right the um the diversity in story is uh, has really come a long way in the last really in the last like 15 20 years um uh, it it used to be that the the fantasy subgenre especially was pretty much dominated with Tolkien-esque heroic fantasy and starting in the mid to late 90s and then really proliferating in the mid 2000s we got different kinds of stories uh not not just getting published but getting um uh weight behind them uh by Mm. the publishing houses uh although uh, i think my biggest criticism right now with the publishing industry is how little marketing support authors are getting. Uh, mm. Unless you're already a, a big name author or unless you get wildly lucky and get signed to some seven figure deal. Uh, nowadays, publishing houses are really counting on authors to do their own marketing. It, it's kind of expected that you have your own website and you have a newsletter and you're active on social media and you're pushing your own book. And that makes it, really difficult, especially because, you know, authors by and large don't get paid that much unless you're Brandon Sanderson or, or George R. R. Martin or, you know, an author like that. Most authors, most genre authors, especially are working a day job in addition to 
writing and <laughs> writing a book is hard. And when you already have such a, a time demand and then you're expected to go out and market your own book, uh, it, it makes it really, really tough for a lot of these mid-list authors to ever break out because mm-hmm. they're, they're basically being counted on to perform three jobs in one and not getting paid like it. And that's funny you brought that up because just today I saw on Twitter Jonathan French, who writes the um, the Grey Bastard books, uh, he just like posted on Twitter, he just said, I can't wait for the third book to come out so I can finally get the H off Twitter. And it's like, it's true. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just like what you said to market, they have to market their own stuff. And also, you know, I know, I know some parts of Twitter is fine, but it's a pretty toxic place. So you have to be on this toxic place to sell your book. And, <laughs> you know, who knows? what they you know all the time i couldn't imagine i go on twitter occasionally and i feel like all right i, I gotta <laughs> you know i'm good so i mean that is Let's a good not talk good about point. twitter because <laughs> <laughs> what about you red um so playing off of what drew said I, I actually worked for a publishing house for a semester because i took a uh it's a it was a master's degree that i didn't finish but it was about publishing and Ulligan Press is the name of the, and, it, and it's out of um, Pacific, uh, or sorry, Portland State University. It's an actual, the degree is, or the press is managed by the people who are in the degree program. Gotcha. Okay. So that was very badly stated. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was one of the things we did is we actually did um, social media audits of all of the books we published. Um, the authors to make sure that they had one because we didn't have a budget. We didn't, we just didn't have a budget for any promotion. Um, but also I think I'm going to use um, Hugh Howie who wrote wool. I don't know if you guys have read wool. Yep. I know okay, of it. Yeah. So, no. right, right, right. so he got published after being self uh, mm-hmm. self published. And sure. I think that that has actually been at least part of the reason, like not him specifically, but that for that ph- phenomenon has been part of the reason why you're expected to promote. You almost have to make a name for yourself before you can get published in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case, um, uh, especially in nonfiction. Uh, mm. Oftentimes, it's pretty much impossible to to get agented or have a, a nonfiction book actually picked up unless you already have a built-in audience. Um I, I know I've I've heard of some agents talking about how they won't sign nonfiction authors unless they have a certain number of followers on Twitter or, you know, wow. it's and it's really cutthroat. There's also the fact that everyone has a word processor now. So any dumb I, this is going to sound mean. Any dumb jerk can write some stuff and send it in. And so you're talking about slush piles with like hundreds of thousands of manuscripts. And, yeah. right. and you hire some poor kid who has to read through these, or I was actually paying to read through the slush pile. Um, and it, it's not like when you had a typewriter and you had to actually really work at it I, or write longhand. It, this sounds mean, but that is an issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, word processors make it really easy to write stuff. And a lot of people write stuff and a lot of it isn't good. In fact, most of it isn't. <laughs> I, I'd like and I'm saying that for in like <laughs> in from like a reader's perspective, um, just to push back, like I I love the diversity that's been from authors and like you said, the non-traditional type of, I guess, epic fantasy quest stories. But I get I one 
kind of criticism I'd have, and I don't know how to fix it because I know publishing houses are trying to make money over everything else, is that I wish they take, I guess, more risks with uh, with the types of stories they they make in a sense where or there'd be more standalones. I feel like everything has to be a trilogy uh, now. Um, and I think, like to, for an example, I like what Tor.com Publishing is doing. Those types of stories you would never see uh, mm-hmm. just if they weren't novellas. The Builders, Sarah Gailey's books, where they're the man-eating hippos and the lesbian librarians. <laughs> like, that would never yeah. happen. And I wish, like, bigger, like, Mar- uh, uh, that Drew was talking about, that there would be a more of a marketing push for authors to do that type of stuff. Like, Robert Jackson Bennett, he's only writing, not, he's not only writing fantasy trilogies because he, he likes to do it, but he'd rather start writing more horrors, but it doesn't, or horror fantasy, but it doesn't pay well. Going to a publisher yep. saying, "Hey, I have a, a horror fantasy book. It's a standalone." And they're gonna be like, "There's just not enough money in that," which I get. But I wish there was some way that more of those could be, and maybe novellas is the way that they'd be more uh, in the you know in fantasy yeah. stuff right now. Electronic publishing has really opened the doors to um, making short format or shorter format storytelling viable financially. Uh, because it, it just plain you know, isn't worth the the production cost of printing a you know a, an eighteen thousand word novella like it, it's cost prohibitive. But when you can release it on a website or in an ebook and you n- never have to worry about it going to the printer, you can make money on that. And we've seen obviously Tor.com is the most uh, prominent of those, but there are there are lots of online genre fiction like fanzines that are publishing paying authors to publish short fiction and novellas like it's it's pretty cool for sure nice all right anything else to add or uh do you want to get into the game oh good brad i was just gonna say in response to drew like i was actually pretty horrified at how much murderbot diaries cost yeah like, to buy a physical copy of it yeah and yeah so yeah yeah it, like she she's one of maybe two authors from tor.com whom you can count on them actually publishing a physical copy like um maybe uh maybe Sean Ann McGuire yeah uh with the you know every heart of doorway wayward children um those are those sell pretty well but uh like <laughs> it's it's just in most cases not not cost efficient yeah it was like 15 to 20 dollars yeah. a book for for a book this yeah. thick yeah, yeah i have one of them and they're like the the builders it's like it's you know it uh, the art's incredible so i don't regret it at i'm all, not but. i'm not saying it just looks yeah. like I, well it's like drew said it they they would this wouldn't happen if it wasn't for ebooks like they there would be mm-hmm. these wouldn't be published at all that's like the point right. so i guess thank god for ebooks in a way <laughs> whole different conversation i guess yeah, definitely. Did one on that, by the way. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Preferred reading. Um, all right, let's get into the game because I'm excited to see what you guys' choices are. I see some of them, but um, so again, these are going to be. I think we settled on one, two, three, about six prompts, six or seven prompts, and we'll just go down the line and uh, you know our own little publishing house, a uh, collection of authors or. And uh, people on Twitter can we can you can put a poll or something and who had the best one or just the worst and make fun. <laughs> I don't care. I just want to get roasted. That's that's why I'm on here. Um, you want to get so roasted? For, <laughs> I, I just want to spend hours on Twitter defending myself <laughs> to try. Oh, dear. 
Um, um, oh, I guess a clarification is that we did say the authors could be either dead or alive, right? Yeah. Um, yep. So up to our you know, own discretion which one we want to choose. I think it was more fun that way, So, uh, especially for some of the categories. So the first one, you can pick one author, their current catalog up to this point, September, uh, day after Labor Day, whatever they have published already. You can pick one author's catalog. And we will start, uh, let's start with Drew, since I see your name first. Yeah, so I I went for one of the obvious ones here, Robert Jordan. Oh boy. I think uh, it's easy to say, well, current catalog. <laughs> not not going to be anything new coming from Robert Jordan. Uh, oh, what happened? Why? <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's, he's... No longer with us. <laughs> yeah, n- no longer with us, but, but also... Uh, has tons of money making potential going forward because of the TV show. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and even, even without the TV show, the books are beloved. Uh, some of the, you know, best selling, um, fantasy books of all time. Mm-hmm. He's sold, you know, you know we, we don't have an, an exact number, uh, but he's sold somewhere between 80 and a hundred million copies of his books. It's a lot. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I feel like if this was like a sports, fantasy draft there'd be two authors who are one and two and uh you pick the first one and i'm pretty sure red picked the second one that you kind of yeah. have to <laughs> pick with these two two options um, just on the yeah, topic of on the topic of robert jordan i own like four copies of eye of the world oh and i haven't God. even read it <laughs> yes i have like do you like any, two hard any of the covers. covers for them well they're all the same cover <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Except for one, which is like the whatever 30th, 50th, 20th, whatever oh, yeah. anniversary. 30th one. anniversary edition. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, it, it's not worth it, guys. It is not worth it. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I have two hardcovers, one mass paperback, and then the ebook. So good choice on you. <laughs> there you go. Straight to his point. You already hooked Panda. <laughs> All right, Red. How about yours? So I picked Brandon Sanderson, which is of course. <laughs> um, I know that that seems like an obvious choice, but it's obvious because he's a workhorse and he puts out consistent good product. And when you're a publishing house, look, he's the type of guy who m- makes having experimental books possible because he's not experimental. He's you know you can count on him and bringing lots of money in. So I have Brandon over here. And he's making me millions of dollars. And then I can pick up some random little experiment. <laughs> and that's real. I mean, that's how publishing houses yep. are. Yeah. You, uh, you have Stephen King. That means you can publish Joe Blow. Yep. Um, most authors don't, you know, uh, don't sell enough to pay back their advances. And but then you get usually two or three that way out earn their advances. <laughs> and, and that money trickles down to the rest of the authors and allows you know, allows that diversity in publishing. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's he's a workhorse and the books he's published, even if I don't get his future books, I'm going to be making bank. Yep. I, I think it's also a good choice. It's actually probably the best choice you could have picked because he also, he releases, I guess, adult fan. We'll call Stormlight adult for this purposes. He, he young adult with the Steelheart books. He has right. middle, what would the middle Alcatraz grade, books? Yeah. Middle, middle grade, grade, yeah. So he's he's got everything covered. I mean, I'm sure a children's book's coming uh, in every corner of the publishing fantasy world. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the comics, right. 
for goodness sake. I mean, plus book rights or sorry, movie rights on all of those books. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're going to there's definitely going to be something happening there for sure. Um, all right, Panda, you didn't fill out the sheet, mm-hmm. so I have no idea what you chose for anything. So I'm Surprise, because I just changed my answer. <laughs> oh, no. I had thought of one. I thought of another one. And now I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm going with a, with my third. Um, I'm going to just do a plug for Tamara Pierce because mm. I love her books. Her catalog. I mean, I wish that she'll have more coming, but I don't know. So whatever she already has published now, like that needs to be cherished and it needs to be reprinted so that everybody can have the chance to read it. Um, but my real answer is going to be Neil Gaiman. I mean, uh, it's kind of for the same, yeah, same reasoning, I guess. Um, but I think he's a bit more expansive. Um, he's got children's books, which features pandas, by the way. Um, and he's got um, the Sandman graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have a lot of his books already, but he still has like huge, huge backlist that I haven't even gotten to. So, man, yeah. I didn't even think of gaming. I can't believe. Real quick, what? Pulling all th- three of you, what are your thoughts on Gaiman overall? Are you? I think I've read every single thing that he's written. I'm pretty really sure. Wow. I'm pretty oh. sure. Maybe a couple of the children's books I missed. Yeah. I love him. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm like hit or miss, depending. Like I love um, the one that's like underground, like underground London. Neverwhere. Neverwhere. I love American Gods. I didn't love. I loved. I think Drew. I think drew was talking about this i love the ocean at the end of the lane yeah. either you hate it or you love it i can't remember I, but it's I love it. yeah, it's fine. me too me too it was fine um yeah yeah most people i think think it's fine he's he is a bit hit or miss for me usually um like i'll enjoy what it is not necessarily like overly love it um and then his short story collections like are definitely hit or mm. miss but when they're good they are really good yeah what was the one? Fragile Things? Is that the one I have? I forget. But yeah, he... All right. No, it was just one. Sorry. Sorry. I'm That's just sort of subject. It... No, no, no. It's not. <laughs> Why not talk about it? Hey, because it's like Fight Club, Panda. You don't... It's... No, it's further <laughs> oh. in the game. <laughs> oh, sorry. Ah, I see what you're doing. Oh, okay. So we're doing, getting man. sneak peeks here. Touche. All right. Um, all right. That was a great pick. Neil Gaiman. Touche. Uh, all right. Mine. No... I went with the home, my favorite. I am totally biased here, but I went with Robin Hobb. Um, yeah. And this is from yeah, well, uh, and this is from someone who's not even finished her whole catalog. I'm just uh, I'm just going through the Dragon Keeper books now. Um, but I like that's this is one of those authors who I just immediately fell in love with. They're now reprinting her uh, books, like the illustrated editions. I don't know yeah. if you've seen them, but they are incredible. It's like. I'm not one of the, usually those people who want anniversary books or anything or want more than one copy just because mm-hmm. maybe I'm cheap or whatever, but, or I think <laughs> sometimes they're a sellout, but like these are just totally worth having just to even flip through. Um, I think it's like, it's funny when you, uh, I think red brought up movies adaptations when picking this, I was thinking like, what could f- like feasibly be a successful one, like with the minimal risk. And I, I first I thought Robin Hobb would be perfect, and then I thought about it more, and I I don't know what to say anymore. Now I think it's not perfect. <laughs> I think people, but I think if it's done well, it's like it's not that CGI expansive, so it's not as expensive, and it's mostly a mm-hmm. character study. I know Era compared 
uh, the first trilogy to like fantasy meets Don Draper and Mad Men, which I, you know, he's <laughs> kind of get a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. But I'm just saying, you keep the cost <laughs> down. It, no, yeah, I, I love Don Draper and Mad Men, but, uh, but, but, but I think you can, I think it's a feasible thing to do. Even, you know, uh, a company wouldn't have to spend a boatload of money on CGI and things like Wheel of Time, even though it looks incredible, but there's not much commitment. You just get a good actor, good actors and put it in the world. And I think it, I think it could be sets. successful. Good sets good too. Sets. Thank you. Like the, yeah. like the Shannara one on MTV. <laughs> Like you just know right away, you're like, no, God, it's not, it's not happening. Um, this is why I think fantasy fans need to start advocating for animation. Yeah, oh, definitely, mm-hmm. especially for Sanderson. I think I would. It's flat yeah. out cheaper to do than a bunch of live actors and CGI. It just is. And you just have more leeway. You can just do more things right. when it's animated. That I mean, there's there's pros I mean, and cons because is an anime. <laughs> um. So yeah, she has a whole. You know, all the. Elder Link series is finished. I don't know. I don't even know if she's writing anything new anymore. So I figured you, this would be an ideal. Do you also get her as Megan Lindholm? You know, I was going to cheat and say yes. Um, mm. <laughs> but but uh, it's up for If that's unfair, I'm fine with it. Uh, but I yes, think that's I think that's fair. That's I, I actually considered Sean Ann McGuire um, for this mm-hmm. one myself because you'd get so did um, I. Mira Grant as well. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, and uh, A.W. Yeah, Baker now. Yeah, yeah, she's crazy prolific. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, obviously Stephen King. I was like, oh, do I get the Bachman yeah. books? Not that it matters because yeah. he has so much. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, be a nice I mean, bonus. Running Man. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I like Running Man. So, all right, all good picks. Uh, we'll twist it a little bit in this next category, and we're going to do authors, but going forward future releases so we might some authors you might know you know we might know what's coming down the pipe other ones have no clue um and this time let's start with panda oh dear okay i mean i just wanted to put shauna mcguire for everything but so that's <laughs> that's just like my overall pick um but i'll i'll answer with with um ken liu so he Ooh. translated um, the first two, or the first book and the third book of Remembrance of Earth's Past, The Three-Body Problem, and Death's End, which I've only read, okay, this is really silly, because I've only read his translated work, The Three-Body Problem, and nothing else by him, except for maybe one short story. But he is such a, um interesting author, um, and he's got a bunch of short stories and short story collection. And he's got the Dandelion Dynasty, um, which is the third book is coming out in November. So I would get that as part of my publishing house. Nice. Um, and I'm <laughs> I very excited. Is this split into two? I think so, yeah. Oh, well, even better for me. Yeah. Um, and I just think he has a lot of potential and he's going to be like, he is going to be a favorite author of mine once I read more of his stuff. And I think he's going to stick around um, in in the like cultural memory for a really long time. Absolutely. I love the Dandelion Dynasty. I thought about posting on here that I will pay for someone to read the, I will buy those books and ship it to them. That's how much I want. Yeah. Hey, let me know, Red. Wow. I love them. (laughs) I got Era to read it and he liked the short stories better, but um, it's heavily takes after like a historic event that I'm not up to date on. But if you don't know it, it's fresh to me, but it's the writing style is I've never read anything like it. It's 
it's kind of, it's like almost, he's writing from like an omnipresent perspective mm. where it's kind of, I know this is going to sound boring, but it's like reading a, a history book that's exciting. Like you, you're having someone tell you this history of something that's happening, you know, kind of like a, a voiceover and like the beginning of a movie, uh-huh. but for the whole book and you still connect with the characters despite that. It's, wow. it's surreal. I loved it. I, it's, it's epic. I will let you know when I start the series because I've got, I've got the books. Good. They're chunky books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Red, what about you? The Wells, because I want to have my hand in any more Murderbot things that ever come out because I love Murderbot and mm-hmm. it's amazing. And I just, you know, she's been around for a while and she's kind of been a sleeper, but Murderbot really was a breakout thing for her. Yeah. And yeah, she's amazing. She has this great uh, sense of humor. I mean, mm-hmm. she's very, very funny about very dark things, which is my favorite she is. humor. <laughs> I think we're so, getting at least two more, two or three more Murderbot books for sure. So I'm, I'm excited. I a thousand more. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> Did you get that Subterranean Press edition? That thing was gorgeous. Oh, it's so pretty, but it sold out so quickly and money, I so much have, money. Look, I have two children that are teenagers. <laughs> Do you know how expensive teenagers are? <laughs> you think your baby is expensive? Your teenager is a hundred times more expensive. <laughs> Get ready for that. Yeah, they're going to have to forfeit college, Red. I'm sorry. You, you need that. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, my oldest is like, I want to be an electrician, which does not require a college degree. Oh, uh, yeah. Smart kid. <laughs> He's like, it's okay, mom. I'm going to live with you until I save up for our house. I'm like, okay, you can pay rent now that you're working full time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Great show. Cho- horrible mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, take it easy. Uh, <laughs> all right, Drew, would you, who'd you choose? Uh, I chose Arcady Martine. Oh, I think, uh, you know, she's a young author, kind of just, just starting her career, but she started off, uh, obviously with a bang, uh, won all sorts of awards and, uh, is, is working away at, uh, at least one more novel, and has talked about the potential for future books in the Texcalon universe. Uh, oh, I wow. think I think she's got a really bright future ahead of her. Nice, uh, Red. I, you're laughing and shaking your head. I, what is that distaste from you? Everybody or? knows how I feel about Memory Called Empire. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read. On that. <laughs> I haven't read um, a Desolation Called Peace yet, but I I do want to read it because. Her writing is very, it's very imagery heavy. Um, Yeah, and her world building was so interesting with the language, the poetry. Um, So I do want to read more by her. I wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is my favorite new thing with A Memory Called um, an Empire. But I do see the potential that she has. So I'm excited. So here's what I will say. I think that part of my issue with the book was it was overhyped for me. <laughs> Probably, I, yeah. I read it after it already won the Hugo, wasn't it? Or was it the mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Hugo. And I'm not saying she's untalented. I think she is. I just think there's some problems with that book <laughs> that I had really <laughs> problems with. But I think that, you know, she's probably is going to go somewhere. And it probably yeah. That was her somewhere. debut, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was... Like she's going she... somewhere. She's not... Like, there was issues with that book. I mean, there's issues with Atlantis. <laughs> yeah. A lot of issues. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, uh, 
if her career trajectory mirrors that of Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> yes. I'm not going to be complaining. Yeah, as far as first books go, it could be worse. could be Ready oh, Player One, and nobody wants that. that. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, I enjoyed Ready Player One for what it is. I right, will not touch Ready Player Two. Me too. No, no neither would I. I, th- I. I was telling Red, I think it's a good gateway drug fa- like fantasy sci-fi book for someone who hasn't read books yet i don't know how we're getting to ready play i'm not trying to talk about ready player one in this, this freaking episode but, but i'm just saying if it, young people or who haven't if you don't read much it's a good gateway sorry nice plug yeah there's an I, I, there's an inking out loud episode on it go listen yeah, to it a, yeah, yeah yeah definitely that's what we should plug that episode on ready player one nsfw yeah yeah. even better don't listen with your kids please and the nice thing about eking out loud is that they do swear which is why i have such a hard time with this podcast yeah we're gonna have to have a green team after dark where we can curse all we want Uh, what you got yeti what's your pick all great picks. I went with um, Pierce Brown for three things. Mm-hmm. I, ju- I just put three things for. I don't. I don't know if I really have three things. One, I, uh, the Red Rising books. I feel like already have a huge fan base, and I feel like mm-hmm. I could see him kind of getting out of like all the authors. Uh, just looking in the genre now, I'm not saying he's the most talented, but the one who could get closest to like a Brandon Sanderson type of fandom if he keeps expanding that world, and not even just that world, but anything else he does. I feel like it could be Pierce uh, Pierce Brown. I am curious. One of the reasons I picked it, I he, he's clearly having some. Uh, he pushed the third, the sixth book back in this the series. He's clearly having burnout, creative burnout, and I'm I'm curious what he's going to write after this. Like, what is he going to stay in this world? And I think it's like a pro, not a problem, but it reminds me of like Joe Abercrombie. Like he he's obviously very successful with the first law books. He's obviously one of my favorites, and then he took a break because he was burnt out for three young adult books not set in the world and. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think they were failures by any means, but sales wise, I don't think he did as well as those first law. And I think, I think he just has such a rabid fan base for more first law books that he had to, had to go back to it. Not had to, but it just, and now he's back in that world. And I'm kind of curious how that's going to work out for Pierce Brown. And if, um, and I'm just curious to see, I love when authors do something new outside their, um, Mm -hmm. outside their, their comfort zone, or just even if it's in their comfort zone, like I love, that's why I love Robert Jackson Bennett. I love his fantasy. I love how he dives into uh, horror. If you ever read his standalone horror books, they're incredible. And it's I love when authors can kind of do that. Uh, number two, uh, just another thing. He's incredibly good looking, and he's like really young. <laughs> and I need that on my lineup. I don't know. Maybe I'd be able to go hang out with him at cons, uh, get a perk. Um, so uh, look at the guy. It's incredible. How can you be that good at writing? Or you know, famous writer? And that good. It's just it's not fair sometimes. So. Yeah, that was an easy pick for me, having him. Uh, you have a number three? No, I told you. I, I said three, <laughs> but I really don't have three. I think that was just okay. the good-looking part, and uh, just curious to see. I, I I just like his potential. He's young. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I think ridiculously, ridiculously good-looking. It's it's unfair. He, he is good-looking. I admit it actually that. makes me okay. angry. I've never seen a picture of this guy. I'm, I'm kind of curious, really? though. I'll just oh, go man. look him up. Go look him up. Yeah, it's no author should be uh, this good looking. And so... also, any. <laughs> yeah, it's a good looking dude. Yeah, he, should not, he should not be in the sci fi fantasy world. How dare you? He's got, he's got those, like, uh, uh, that, like, dreamy boy band look. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, he does. Yeah, he, 
He's perfect for if he gets a big following. <laughs> so, so uh, about the fan base, right? Like, right. They are rabid, like very, very loyal. Um, he he now has merch from the Red Rising world. They do very he well. He needs to step it up with that. There's <laughs> um, only like three, like there's only like three logos, and he has a whole world of like different. They're working on books. it. Well, there's okay. a, there's actually a new drop coming soon as of this recording. But anyway. Um, and he, he did mention that, um, um, so he did mention when he was on the tour for, um, Dark Age that he wants to write a fantasy, like actual fantasy book. And, um, he, it won't be in the Red Rising world. So, and he, he's written a screenplay now, um, that got turned into a movie. Yeah, it's not good. I watched it, but yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I did <laughs> no not disrespect. watch it. No disrespect to him. <laughs> it's fine. It's that Sundance. Cute. We, we, we already went over that, Red. <laughs> and he has board games, and he's got it all. I don't know what He's else also say. a huge, like, history nerd and, like, political science nerd, which shows in Red Rising. Yeah, the quotes he puts and stuff. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, oh, no. I think we're going to mix it up a little bit now. So this next prompt, if you could combine two authors to write a series, like uh, S.A. Corey from The Expanse. And, Drew, you can help me out. The two authors are... Um, uh, Ty Frank and Daniel uh, Abraham, I yes, believe. Abraham, that's it. Yeah. Yep. So if you could do that and have... It could be any type of series, but two authors combining or book series. And, Red, we'll start with you. Okay. So I picked... Um, Sir, Ar- Ar- Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Jim Butcher. Oh, what a mix. Mm. Yeah, I can because, definitely see it. Spaghetti and meatballs. Because, I mean, Sherlock Holmes is not uh, the film noir aesthetic that Jim Butcher has, but that would not exist without him, without Sherlock Holmes. Right. And so uh, Harry and Sherlock are both, are both very broken people. They're really messed up people. I mean, Holmes is a cocaine addict. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. There's a lot of people who don't know that. Um, no. But really smart. Harry's dealing with a lot of uh, childhood drama, trauma, and drama. I mean, he kills his. Oh. Hey, hey spoilers. He <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think that having this urban fantasy kind of aesthetic and this Victorian. I mean, there's kind of a lot of sim- similarities because Victorian England was kind of grungy. London mm-hmm. was kind of... Sure, yeah. And there's like the street kids and all that kind of stuff. And I just think it would be really interesting to have them come together and write me a fantasy novel. You personally? Oh, I see. Yeah, oh, nice. yeah, me personally. <laughs> and I will share it with the world, but I'm just saying it's, it's going to be for me personally. <laughs> nice. I like that. That is good. Um, <laughs> all right, Drew, which two did you pick? Yeah, I, I loved this prompt because I'm going for Matthew Stover and Robert Jackson Bennett. Oh, I think, nice. I think these two could write one one heck of a of a, a dark urban fantasy. Uh, they they both are great character writers. Uh, I think Bennett has you know a, a little bit of an edge on the world building side, uh, but Stover has the the writing chops. He has the prose that uh you know to to kind of reinforce 
Like I, I just see them synergizing really well. Uh, they, they have enough similarities in their style that they'd, uh, they'd work well together. And where, where one has any sort of weakness, the other one is strong in that area. Uh, I would, I'd kill to, to read a story co-authored by these two guys. Man. <laughs> My God. Now I'm thinking of like a, a buddy cop novel with Sigrid and uh, Kane together. Oh, that'd be so <laughs> great. <laughs> I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> I don't know who either of these authors oh, are. Right. So oh, yeah. Man. So uh, Matthew, Matthew Stover, Matthew Woodring Stover, um, he's best known for his work in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. He wrote the novelization of Revenge of the Sith, which is shockingly good. Um, it's it's like uh, legendary in the Star Wars fandom for how it took a, a movie that was okay, like like pretty pretty fun movie, but uh, some of the character you know character arcs didn't really land, um, and he turned those relationships into like heartbreakingly good stories in that novelization. Wow! Uh, but he also wrote the Acts of Cain, which was. Uh, a very dark, brutal fantasy um, that kind of he wrote about a decade before that sort of thing got popular. Um, he started writing in the nineties and if, if he started in the two thousands, I think he'd be you know kind of on that Abercrombie level of popularity with the grim dark crowd. Nice. So, so he's more popular for the star Wars stuff than the Kane books. Oh, yeah. I've always known him from Kane, but I guess cause star Wars is such a big universe. Yeah. Yeah. he, yeah, he definitely sold more books. I mean, not that not that Kane was a failure. Um, like uh, I, I just had an opportunity to have Matthew Stover on Inking Out Loud the other day, and and he pointed out he's like, look, oh. Heroes Die has been in print for almost twenty five years now. Like it's still selling. Yeah. Um, but but he was never a you know a number one bestseller for for Kane. Uh, but his Star Wars books were bestsellers. So. Gotcha. Yeah, and and I gotta say uh, a shout out to Matt here for for Robert Jackson Bennett, Divine Cities. Uh, it's it's largely due to him that I read those in the first place, and they quickly became some of my favorite books. So nice work, Getty. Yeah, just peddling those drugs that Robert Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Bennett, a little taste, and that's all it needed. Leave uh, me a broken man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. They're, uh, they're amazing books, but they are they are not easy on the soul. <laughs> yeah, I, I oh. cried. Yeah, I cried. Yeah. Oh, not something um, I want to read right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect during this day and age. That, that sort of like a beautifully heartbreaking kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Panda, what about you? Again, you leave us in suspense. There's no notes in here. Okay. So, my two authors are, the first one is Catherine Addison, also known as Sarah Monette, um, and she is the author of The Goblin Emperor and recently The Witness for the Dead. She also has published a lot of um, short fiction, which I haven't read, and, and I think she's published that under Sarah Monette. Um, but I really like her character work. Um, I love The Goblin Emperor and that world. And then my second author would be P. Jelly Clark, who is newer, um, newer published. And I read Ring Shout by him, which was really, really good. And also he's got the Dead Gin universe, the first, well, he's got like short stories. And then the novel, A Master of Gin, just came out um, recently. And he's also really good with character work and world building. And when I read... Um, Dead Gen in Cairo, 
I was I was so impressed. Like it is such a short story, but I was like, oh my goodness, I'm all in, I'm immersed, I want more from this universe. He sold me um with that short story. So now I'm reading um more of the the books in that universe. I think the two of them with their their really good character work and just immersive world building would be phenomenal. Yeah, nice. Uh, and Clark is is one of those writers who you know got his breakthrough because of you know Tor.com because of that yep. that proliferation of um, short format genre mm-hmm. fiction that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's come full circle, and like he is somebody who just his imagination is wild and it's it's wild in a way that i like like there's imagination which jeff vandermeer um that i don't like and does not work well with me but p jelly clark his does nice the uh, goblin empire it's been on my list forever just because they say it's like a feel-good fantasy so i've been like saving it for a day when i need like an uplifting just happy read it Um, is the opposite of grimdark (laughs) <laughs> and um, the, there is one thing about it, which is it does have a lot of made up words like elven goblin words. So if if you are OK with that, right, just just push past that and then you'll enjoy the story. And it is very character driven. So, so just be aware of that. I have not read The Goblin Emperor, but I've re- I've read The Witness for the Dead. And that is, first of all, despite Panda's feelings. You can read that book and not be spoiled. All but okay. <laughs> anyway, I loved it. It was great. She, it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. Listen, I'm a fantasy fan. Give me all the orcish and elvish language you can handle. <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not going to be like, no, no, no. I don't deal with that Please, fantasy I wanna, stuff. I want to podcast a book where I can't say any of the names or any of the words. <laughs> I feel like that's like that's ha- something I need in my life. We have, so for our um, Goblin Emperor episode for Green Team, Huron Fan was the host of it. We played a game where he would say one of the words and we had to guess whether it was a person, place, or thing. And <laughs> mostly the game was him trying to pronounce the words. <laughs> I, I feel his pain. <laughs> I mean, I listen to the audiobooks and I still can't pronounce the name. <laughs> You're just very special, little red. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so what'd you pick, my, Yeti? So for my pick, I went. I did. Uh, it's just a standalone book, not a series. But I went with Stephen King, who hasn't been talked about. He's I, I, this whole thing's genre fiction, but he's obviously fantasy too. He, with the Dark Tower and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I picked him and Robert uh, McCammon. Have anyone ever read any of his books? No. Incredible. What, what did so, he write? Uh, my favorite is Boy's Life, if you've ever heard that. And so no. the reason I picked these two, it's not for King's horror, uh, so to speak, but it's coming of age story. So like Stand By Me or The Body is short story. Um, I think it's one of the best coming of age stories of all time that just brings you back to a childhood that like that's set in maybe the 50s or 60s. I wasn't a kid back then, but I still feel i like relate to every kid moment he puts in them similar to stuff like in it uh the non-disgusting horror parts but the friend you know the friendships when you're young uh and boy's life is kind of the same thing um it's about 
uh, it's hard to describe this book, but it's more fantastical, I guess, in the sense a kid and his dad witness a car crash that goes into a lake. And from there, it's kind of an unsolved. Yeah, it's darker than it seems, but it's about growing up, growing old, kind of what that means from the boy's perspective with a bunch of fantasy kind of. I don't want to say trippy, but it has a lot of, it's very image heavy. Um, and some of the quotes in there just, it's like you could put 50 of them in your yearbook about just, uh, you know, parents, wow. family growing up. And so I think between both of them combining, because I thought about this category, it's like, I think it'd be cool. I thought at first it'd be cool to pick two like total polar opposites that maybe do, you'd see how they mesh. But instead of this one, I went with like, just two who are at the top of what they do. And I think I, coming of age, just uh, writing kids about uh, stories about kids, I don't think there's any better uh, between those two stories. So it's kind of like for Drew. It's like if you merge the talents of Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur, just the top, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, they do the same thing, just awesome, you know. Um, so uh, that's why I want them just make an awesome, massive 1,000 page book about uh, growing up and making me cry at the end with some quote. <laughs> 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 well, um, I don't so, know if I would uh, read it if it's a thousand pages, but yeah, no. I like the sound <laughs> of the premise. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. don't read it. They're both, both of those books. Uh, actually the, the body's really quick a short story, but boy's life is big, but that's like, I would recommend if you want to like a good standalone, um, that kind of mm-hmm. is introspective and just entertaining too. It's got some harm at our horror elements in it as well, but, um, it's, it's dope. I okay. Love it. Uh, nice. All right, so next, we're going to keep it simple, and I think people should now get their phones out because they're probably going to want to Google images after hearing this one. But if you could pick a cover artist for your your favorite cover artist, uh, do the cover for all your books, uh, people's books, who would you pick? Um, and I'll switch it up. I'll double dip. I'll go, for, I'll go first. Uh, and I pick Richard Anderson, if you don't know who that is. He did the cover of The Builders. You definitely recognize his stuff, Kings of the Wild. Yeah. Um, the Mirror Empire books, Beyond Redemption, and, uh, what Brian Staveley's books? Oh, the Emperor's Blades. Uh, yeah, um, he, on Hewn Throne. Yep, yep, those books too. So he has like a really I I buy his books before I knew who he was. I just gravitated to those. That's why I bought the Builders. I never really heard of Daniel Plansky until then. I just saw a bunch of critters that look um they're look they're about to kill someone and they have swords just really cool dynamic artwork on the cover um and sometimes i, I honestly got it, I, I think the artwork eclipses what's in the book in a few cases like the dinosaur lords by victor milan no offense to him rest in peace but the cover is just way better than the books and it's just it's a sad fact wow. but that's how good the covers are like if you look at the dinosaur lords on the Barnes and Noble or wherever you're like, that looks like this is going to be the best book ever. Yeah. Um, that's what he did. Like, I, I really think it's, um, it's like a boon to authors to have him do as well. I really do. And I think that's obviously the goal with good, uh, cover art, but I really, I think he's helped authors. I think any author would say that, uh, too. So that's why I went with, uh, with mine. So, yeah, that's an awesome pick. I really like his art myself. Um, his artwork was what got me to pick up the emperor's blades in the first place. Uh, he has um, it, there's there's like enough sharpness to it that it feels dynamic, but he also has this sort of blurry um, thing going on where there he doesn't go into detail, and I think that leaves this this like sense of mystery uh, with each of his covers that I really really like. Yeah, you it's, nailed it. It's it's like sharp and blurry, like those two words. It's yeah. really weird how it's kind of, but it works. It does. Um, yeah, so that was mine. Uh, what about you, Panda? Who'd you pick? Um, I picked 
<clears throat> I picked Tommy Arnold, and he is the one that has done the cover art for um, the Subterranean Press editions for Red Rising, for Murderbot, and he's done um, Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth. And I follow him on Instagram, and he posted this picture of this dragon um, image that he did. And I was like, I don't know what this book is, but I want to read it because it's just stunning. Um, the way that, like, his style is a bit similar to Richard Anderson, um, but he, his is a bit more, it's it's a little more sharp um, yeah. and not as brushy, but... Um, I just, I love it so much and I just want to be his friend and go into his studio and watch him work. <laughs> oh, perks of the job. And he did the Armored Saint as well. I always liked the cover of Armored Saint. Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm Googling now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see what yeah, else I, I like a lot of these. These, are, these are good looking covers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I do that. All right. Uh, Red, who'd you pick or <laughs> what? covers did you pick? So, first of all i am not a visual arts person at all <laughs> but i will say whoever did the cover of twilight did a brilliant job you have a black and white picture two hands holding out and an apple sitting in the middle of the hands and it's just the book is not i'm not recommending the book i just think that that was a brilliant image it's very very simple clean unfortunately does not really give you a sense of the book <laughs> <laughs> it looks nothing like that picture. Is it but about it's apples? Very, it's not about apples. It's also not about Adam and Eve. But it invokes that. And mm-hmm. So I just looked this up. And Stephanie Meyer chose that image herself. Wow. So huh. That would be the credit, I guess. I, I do I mean, like the simple cover sometimes. Uh, most times, actually. Yeah. I think they really can be more effective than the cool. And I think fantasy does not have that problem. But I don't think you see as many, yeah, because you want those eye-catching kind of fantastical covers where um, I think a more confident author or best, one who's more financially paid off more for the publisher, they can kind of get away with that stuff if they've already sold more. Um, But she wasn't at the time. No, definitely not. No, yeah. Um, No, I think fantasy does suffer from cluster on their covers. (laughs) There was a bad (laughs) word I didn't say. Yes. But the covers, the covers are often um, overdone, and there's just so much going on. I hate every single um, Wheel of Time cover I've ever seen. I just don't. Oh, wow. Oh, Drew. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, Drew. That's fine. Sorry. There's just too much. There's too much. Like, Do you like the Stormlight Archive covers? No, not really. Oh. And how could you? There's just... We're going to get canceled because of you, Red. (laughs) I didn't say I didn't like the books. I'm just saying I don't like the covers because there's too much going on. And Twilight, a book I do not like, has a better cover because it's simple and austere. But that's also a personal taste thing. Like, I was unexpected. My ex is the one who hung hung the pictures on the walls, not me. Because I just didn't care. I'm like, okay, (laughs) it's blue. I like it. <laughs> That's fine. Well, hate, uh, a hating Wheel of Time covers uh, dovetails nicely into Drew's pick. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, my artist is basically the opposite of <laughs> what Red's talking about. I picked Raymond Swanland, who uh, he did the Towers of Midnight ebook cover 
but he's probably best known for his work with uh, Glenn Cook. He did the covers for all of the Black Company uh, omnibus versions mm. and the Dread Empire books. Uh, he also did um, John Brown's fantasy books, the the Servant of a Dark God, that, that trilogy. Um, he has really dynamic, really action-packed, um, stylistic covers. Uh, one of the things that has always stood out uh, for him uh, is is like how much motion there is on the covers. Mm-hmm. He every cover I've seen from him has this like sweeping um, aesthetic to it, where there are, there are always cloaks blowing in the wind, fires blowing in the wind. You know, there's always this sharp um, diagonal motion to his book covers. Uh, and I, uh, he's the reason that I picked up the Black Company in the first place. I saw the cover he did for the Books of the South, and uh, you know, I was browsing at Barnes Noble. I saw, I was like, that is the coolest book cover I have ever seen. I need to read these, and I uh, never looked back. Um, yeah, and then, and then a couple of years later, when they were doing um, the Wheel of Time ebook re-releases, uh, and they picked him for Towers of Midnight, and I was like, this is perfect because it's you know, pairing with the hammer and the the forge flames. Once again, that that kind of diagonal motion uh, coming off the the hammer, I just I love it. Yeah. Wow. Before I looked at it before we went on for the uh, record this the Perrin one, and I literally wanted to run through a wall. I was so hopped up when I saw saw that <laughs> cover. I was like, oh, it's like the hammer's on fire. I was like, we're ready to go. It's just what I yeah. need. Uh, yeah. Did he do any of the other uh, ebook ones for the Wheel of Time? No. For that run, they chose a, a different artist for each book. Oh, that's awesome. And then, uh, and then they had um, Michael Whalen do a Memory of Light, and then of used his ebook cover also for mm. the the physical version. So, so I have the the ebook um, that's the whole series. Oh, just the three circle, and uh-huh. I actually really like that. Like I'm like, this is <laughs> <what> I like. <laughs> yeah, that that simple aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Minimalist. Yeah. It's still pretty. I do like that. I do like that simple Wheel of Time one. Um, and so I, I guess the risk is any of our books that get made into films or movies, they're going to have that big sticker that says Amazon uh, and it's going to oh. ruin our cover. And or Netflix it's not even it. a sticker. Oh, it's just printed yeah, on the is. cover. Yeah, you cannot gotta... remove it. <laughs> it's in my contract. Terrible. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have two more prompts left. And uh, this next one is my favorite. Uh, it's so if you could have another author from another uh, or an author from another genre uh, write in sci-fi fantasy fic, uh, SFF, which one? What author would you choose? And you can, if you want, you can describe what kind of book they will write. I will, of course. Um, but let's start with you, Drew. Who? What author did you choose? Uh, I chose Alexander Dumas. Oh. I think oh. he would be great to write a uh, like some sort of a D and D esque. Uh, adventure <laughs> fantasy. I think that'd be a ton of fun. Whoa! <laughs> I love um, that. My mind is blown right now. <laughs> thinking about so it. Excited. <laughs> I, I just seeing him in the. I will say, uh, quick plug for. Have you heard of Sebastian de Castell, um, the yeah. author? He writes like a Three Musketeers type fantasy. It's so good. It's like the because oh, it's. Oh yes, I have. It's yes. Good. It's fantastic. Traders, Just the Traders Blade. Traders Blades, the, the first one. Oh, the co- really speaking good. of good cover art too. But like just the dynamic between the three leads and the back and forth. It's if you like the Three Musketeers and are Jones and for you know that kind of fantasy, it's it's fantastic. Four bucks, 
again, I will pay people on Discord to, to, get to read them. Um, but yeah, Alexander, you're going to be buying a lot of people books. Uh, I know. I gotta. Up. Yeah, this sounds awesome. <laughs> I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta work overtime. This isn't good. Uh, that's a. I didn't even think of that. That's good. I would. I'd like to see him do a D and D. Alexander Dumas. Um, all right, Red. Who did you pick? I picked Neil Ferguson. He's a Scottish historian who is also um, an American citizen. And his most recent book was Doom, The Politics of Catastrophe. He's written books about money, and he's written books about secret societies. And he just seems like a perfect guy to write a sci-fi book. Yeah. Nice. And I love also post-apocalyptic fiction, and that's what he writes a lot about. (laughs) I mean, he wrote, wrote about the fall of... I don't want to get too political because some of it is very political writing, but he would, um, he would write an interesting sci-fi. Dystopian sci-fi. Leibowitz type. It is, it is funny on this episode. I don't think we chose too many sci-fi oriented people, right? No. Do we more gravitate towards fantasy? Yeah. Just good. Good job by everyone. But something yeah. just, I just noticed it. Okay. It's good. It's good. I'm, I'm about 50, 50 with my picks. Yeah. I don't read a lot of sci-fi. Yeah. Good job, Red. Stick together. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Right. No, sorry. I don't know why I'm taking shots. It's sci fi. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, where about uh, sci fi? Yeah, there you go. It works. Um, all right, Panda, who'd you choose? Okay, I had a really hard time with this one because I have three people that I chose. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, okay, I've decided which one of these three I'm going to really go with, but I will do honorary mention. So we've got Delia Owens, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing, which is considered literary fiction. Um, and that was her debut book, actually. And it's it, the way that she writes, like, she got me so invested and interested in a marsh. Like, it's just her writing is so <laughs> immersive. Um, and she was describing this feather, and I was like, I want to see this feather. I can see it in my mind. I want to touch this feather. Um, anyway, so I was very impressed with her debut. I think she would write a pretty c- cool, like, fantasy book that's more, like, low-key with subtle, like, mystery happening in the background. Um, and then my second honorary mention is Emily Henry, who is well-known for contemporary romance, Beach Read, and her latest is People We Meet on Vacation. Um, I've read both of those this year, and I really, really enjoyed it. Like, it's not, I mean, I know romance genre gets a bad rep, but this is smart. Like, her characters are real, they have depth, and I love her books. So, I think she would write Mm. some fun, um, like, comedic fantasy romance. Um, I think she, she would do really well with that. And then, my real pick... I don't even know if any of y'all have heard it's of this. Not but... fair. <laughs> you cheated so much. Hey, <laughs> I also. He said I could. Mission. Okay. Yeah, yeah he, said, he said I could. Um, Graham Simsian. I am probably butchering that guy's name. I'm so sorry, but he um, he wrote a series called the Don Tillman series, and I've only read the first book, and I just want to leave it at that because I really like that book. It's called The Rosie Project, and it is also contemporary romance. But it's, it's more from the male perspective. The, the guy is the main character as opposed to the female. And he also has a book published about data modeling essentials. And it's a how-to guide for data modeling. I think he would be able to write a comedic sci-fi 
with probably a little bit of romance um, <clears throat> in it. So that's my pick for this prompt. My real pick. <laughs> I think it'll sell millions of copies. I, I like it. Um, <clears throat> that's a good one. I So this, this uh, prompt, this is what I thought of to do that when I wanted to do the episode or brought it up to you guys. It was because of this one because I was like, what would be cool to do? So I'm not going to choose this because it would literally sell five copies, but the author Richard Yates... Um, if any, anyone heard of Richard Yates, he's like, no. uh, I think he's one of the best American authors. He's dead now, but he writes, uh, he writes like, he's kind of like a modern day great Gatsby where he writes oh, about, yay. he writes about yes. cou- couples in like the fifties who live the American, yeah. who live like the American dream. There was a movie with, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet revolutionary road. You ever heard of it? Yeah. And yeah. so it's about couples kind of just living what would is supposed to be the American dream in the fi- white picket fence and just just their life is terrible they cheat on each other they uh they think they're going to go on do these great things but they just live banal lives so i thought it'd be fun if you just had a couple of farmers living out there they have their orphan son who obviously will be the chosen one someday but they don't know that and they just argue all the time because there's no excitement in their life you know one of them cheats with the wood wood, (laughs) steel smith or you know one of these workers and uh yeah it's just a terrible but it wouldn't sell so i didn't pick that one but I would read it. It would be uh, it's terrible. Yes, they're very depressing and they're just you do <laughs> not sorry, feel good like... afterwards. <laughs> well, maybe fantasy needs some more just hard relationship no, books. No, some feel bad books. <laughs> yeah, feel bad, yeah. Antithesis to the Goblin Emperor. Uh but no. So what I did pick, and I would read this book so fast. So I picked Gillian Flynn. She's done most famous for Gone Girl. Oh. If you read those books. Mm-hmm. But um I love her other books too, Dark Places and um, Sharp Objects. And she writes like dark thrillers. If you've seen Gone Girl, you can tell what you're getting into. But I thought if she would write like a murder mystery in the vein of Mm. like Clue, uh, you know, the movie Clue, except more serious, but do it like a band of adventurers are all sleeping over in an inn, uh, you know, an orc, an elf, a a dwarf, uh, a a human, that like cat thing that you can play at Skyrim, all those things. They're all sitting around. And then the power goes out. Well, there is no power in fantasy times, but you know, the the candles go out. The candle goes out and the cat thing is dead. And they're like, oh, who did it? And it's like, you know, it's very, and there's twist because she writes like good plot twists. And I was like, I would read it in a heartbeat. Who would read that? Like, what? Yeti, can you write this book, please? <laughs> no. You've got the bones here. If she just inserts the talent she has into my body, I will, uh, we can, maybe it'll, be, it'll be like, uh, actually, yeah, I'll write it with her. It'll be like those James Patterson, Bill Clinton books where we know Bill oh, yeah, Clinton doesn't write those books. <laughs> Or probably James Patterson doesn't either. Third person. But uh, yeah, so that would, I, that's what I was thinking one day. I was just like eating lunch. I'm like, man, that'd be pretty cool. You just said like, you know, who did it? Kind of like a The Hateful Eight with Quentin Tarantino, but with fantasy characters around there. So This anyway. is brilliant. Nice. This is brilliant. I love right? it. That's why I we have this it. episode. I know. I, I know. so much smarter than me. No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> you're buttering creative. me up. Yeah, no, you're buttering me up. But I gotta think of a title. So we gotta, we gotta think. <laughs> we'll work. We'll workshop it. Um, but anyway, those are all, those are all fun. Green so, team fanfic. <laughs> green team. So the last one, and uh, I like this one. So we're gonna pick an author who, if you could choose any author to have a collection of short stories, and I like this prompt because I just love when like like when I heard Joe Abercrombie was having a. A short, uh, a short story collection coming out of the first law world. I fa- I almost fainted. I was like, "This is the best thing ever." <laughs> now it doesn't always pan out. I'm I don't know about you guys. I'm again hit or missing. That's how short story collections are. You're, not every story is going to hit. Obviously, usually I'd rather read um, 
Ken Liu may be different, but usually I'd rather read a full novel. But I still think it's kind of cool, especially if it's an author who hasn't written short fiction before, to kind of see what the stories they come up with and what it would be like. So, um, so anyway, Panda, who'd you go with? Okay, I I probably went with the most boring answer because this guy already writes short stories. <laughs> but I went with Ted Chang, and he wrote um, "Story of Your Life." Uh, which became the the movie Arrival, and he has an, a more recent collection um, called Exhalation, which I haven't read, but I'm very excited to. And for me, his writing is just that is the essence of sci-fi, like hard sci-fi. And I don't read a lot of it, but when I do, and when I find the ones I really gel with, I'm like, my mind is just whirling trying to you know understand what um what the author is is writing and like depicting and if you haven't read any of his stuff highly recommend um if you like hard sci-fi um but he is he's a technical writer like he started writing short stories you know for for fun for himself but like he his day job is being a technical writer. I think by now he may be retired, so I'm hoping that we're gonna get more works from him. Um, but he's not like very active, you know, on social media. So I just I don't know that much about him, and I just want more of his stuff. I'd never heard of him to be quite honest with you. So I'm intrigued. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Have you seen Arrival? I have. I love that movie. Yep. Okay. Made me cry. Go go read the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Red, who'd you choose? Neil Gaiman. Oh, uh, you are. <laughs> um, he, yes, hit or miss. I'm, I'm assuming, by the way, the rule is that it has to be one author for all the short stories. Yeah. I mean, you can switch it up, but that's what I had in mind. Yeah. Just one author so, if they could put out a collection. I was torn between Jim Butcher and, and Neil Gaiman, but I already did. Jim Butcher earlier, so I picked Neil Gaiman for this, specifically for other people from uh, his short story collection, Fragile Things, which is one of the most horrifying, terrifying stories I've ever read, and it's not a horror story. and It's just so darn good and kept me up at night after I read it. And like I said, it's oh, not wow. a horror story, technically. It's about a guy who walks into a room, and there's this crazy creature there, and it's like, this is hell, but it's not like you have to read it. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Oh, so damn good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie. Go read it. It's, it's so, so darn good. good. But yeah. um, he writes a lot of really great stories. His Norse, mytholo- his Norse mythology book was basically short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, was great. Granted, rewriting, but it was really good. Um, you m- mentioned the ocean one. Ocean at yeah, the end, ocean of, the end of the lane. And that's basically a short story. Yeah, it's a it's a novella. It's like, novella. like yeah. maybe 110 pages long, something like that. Right, yeah. But he just, um, he knows how to write a short, concise story. And yeah, not all of them are great. But when he's on, he's really, really on. He always has something that's just a little off, you know? He's one of those writers who has that really, like, dark undertone. But he yeah. can be very yeah. subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I love Fragile Things. And like. Uh, something I like about short story collections, even though I prefer novels, is like if I'm thinking about getting into an author and I don't have the time for it in my TBR to right. read one of their fir- first novels, what I did with Gaiman is I read Fragile Things. I'm like, oh, yeah, 
oh, this guy, I can, I can rock with this guy. Little did I know all of his books are like totally different. Everyone's like, you know, yeah, American true. Gods is totally different than uh, Stardust or, you know, the way I'm like, so. Oh yeah. yeah. Stardust um, is my favorite book of his. Fantastic. Uh, so, but yeah, that's a great pick. I mean, I, I love, I love that uh, short story collection. It's what led me on his path. So. Sand, Sandman can probably qualify as short stories too. I mean, yeah, that's, novels, but they have yeah. that same feel. I mean, that's yeah. I, I think it's kind different. of a different medium, but hey, listen, you got yeah. you got fragile things. All right, don't get greedy with how much gaming. <laughs> well, he he that. actually has multiple. He has multiple oh, yeah, short story collections. Yeah, there's so, yeah. another one I could. Uh, there's trigger I, warnings and smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I was just gifted um, the Neil Gaiman Reader. Oh, nice. uh, Recently, which has um, a, a variety of short stories, but also some like short excerpts from a few of his more popular novel length works. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good intro. Yeah. You have good friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Drew, who'd you pick? Uh, I picked Neil Gaiman's mentor, Gene Wolfe. I thought you were going to say Neil Gaiman too. I was like, oh, we're going to double up on <laughs> Neil Gaiman here. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I picked the guy that Neil Gaiman said was the uh, greatest living writer of the English language. Wow. Um, really? <laughs> yep. Oh my uh, god! <laughs> yeah, he he and Gaiman were were very very good friends. Um, and yeah, Wolf obviously he's he's best known for the Book of the New Sun, you know, uh, uh, science fiction tetralogy. But he was a prolific short fiction writer, uh, won mm. tons of awards uh, during his life, and uh, he, he like Gaiman is very good at working in that subtle darkness to stories. Uh, Wolf is best known for his unreliable narrators where it, the story is not always what the narrator is telling you it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's, he's one of my favorite writers ever. So I had to, I had to slip him in there. Somewhere <laughs> and, so I have a question because yeah. I've only read two books and that's the wizard of the night books. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, eh. oh, no. so, um, so the wizard and the night are, it might um, be the knight and the wizard. I'm not sure. Whatever it is, it's the wizard and the knight. Yeah. Um, the how do I put it? They're they're kind of more like entry level wolf. Like it's not his most ambitious work. Um, it just left me cold. Yeah. yeah he's like, eh. he's a a very specific type of writer. Like I definitely not for everybody. Um, but for for somebody who really wants to like if if you want to find a story to dig into where you're like, I want to, I want to read something that I need to read three or four times to fully understand it. That's Gene Wolf. He's, mm. he's incredibly complex, uh, has lots of hidden mysteries, lots of, um, layered symbolism and allegory. And, um, I mean, it, it, with the unreliable narrator thing, that's, that's the biggest issue. Like, you you read it and the story is one way and then you read it again and you're like, wait a second, I, I'm pretty sure the character's lying here. And that mm. fundamentally changes everything that happened afterward. And like uh he's he's really notorious for a standalone book called Peace, which presents itself as like a a, a Midwestern memoir kind of book. Ooh. But really it's a horror story. Oh, interesting. And, and it's like you don't really see how it's a horror story until you've gone back after reading it the first time. It's, oh. but it's very challenging. I will say, uh, 
his prose is demanding. He's he is not shy about long, complex sentences. <laughs> he's like in the category for me where like I have to clear out. I can't read multiple books if I read him. It's kind of like um, yeah, Thomas Covenant's author uh, Donaldson. Like Donaldson. I, mm-hmm. Like they're they're writing. I just gotta I gotta focus. I got you know Donaldson because he uses a lot of purple prose. Like there's just words he just doesn't need to use that he used. They're so big that you don't need to use. But um, kind of the same philosophy for me where I I got to be in that mindset to read those types of authors. Um, yeah, and and Ada Palmer is uh, she's a newer author, but uh, she kind of worships at the altar of Gene Wolfe as well. Uh, she's the <laughs> Terra Ignota series, and she's the same way. Where I I read To Like the Lightning, her first book years ago, and was pretty met on it. And then I heard her do a podcast interview where she talked about her, you know, her series in relation to Gene Wolfe and the inspirations there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I completely missed the point of that book. I need to go back and reread it. But oh, it's, funny. but it's like, I, I need to carve out that time to dedicate to reading it because mm. it's demanding stuff. It's not like Resident Files where you, you know, you could just pop in and out of those stories easily. You know, I would be <laughs> um, cautious with saying that because it changes. <laughs> I, I I hear there's there's a particular book that it changes. I <laughs> 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 mean, like a book that's type. Okay, never mind. I haven't read any of them, so I don't know. There's a lot of hand um, motions going on when they say that. You can't see that. There's a lot of wink, wink. <laughs> so maybe I should try again with peace. Is what you're saying? Uh, peace or Book of the New Sun. I think those are okay. those are his highest regarded, uh, but they're also his most challenging. I mean, I like to like the lightning. I loved it a lot, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, then read Book of the New Sun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm writing it down. <laughs> actually, I don't probably know, but... Yeah. Well, you could. Uh, <laughs> right, Matt, I want to hear you talk about your pick here. Oh, uh, yeah, my favorite. So we'll end it on a high note. One of the best ever. So, no, just, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's that Panda just found his book at a Goodwill, she said. Um, yeah. But I picked Daniel Polanski. Ah. And um, so... Uh, besides just uh, living at his altar, and I've met him in real life before in New York. Don't want to humble brag there. Ooh. Super cool. <laughs> saw him at a book. Sh- saw him at hum- a bookshop. So good. Anyway, so <laughs> the reason like I picked him is because if you go through his catalog of books that he's written, they're just it's inc- first of all it's incredibly diverse. Um, he's written a, a trilogy that's noir. F- is that am I saying that right? Noir fantasy. Um, he's written. Noir, thank you. He's written um, a duology, which you never see. Um, that's like his version of epic fantasy. It's more like dark epic fantasy, um, but or high fantasy. But it's a duology, which <laughs> you never see that. He's written a novella, uh, The Builders, which is Redwall meets Quentin Tarantino. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, it's fantastic. So it's incredible. Uh, he's his best work, I think, which he came up with that idea on a bar napkin at a con one time he, as a joke. Um, he, a city dreaming. If you ever heard of that, it's literally just a guy walking around fantastical New York city. Uh, I didn't love it, but it's just the fact that he got it published and w- can write something like, like that and make it readable. Uh, and then the seventh perfection, he just, a uh, new novella he wrote, which is fantastic. If anyone wants to read it, it's all in second person. Uh, it's about oh. this character that remembers everything. So you, she, she's never talking, but her, and she's trying to solve a riddle or a mystery. And it's all from second person from kind of like other people. You have to read it more than once. It's really short, so you can. But after the first time, I'm like, okay, 
Um, I don't know what I, I, I have to read it again. It's so good. It's and again, just the way his mind works. He's incredibly well read. Uh, like if you ever watch his Goodreads or look at his Goodreads, he reads every genre. He, re- he reads stuff from the 1700s, and then he'll read a crime thriller from 1985. Uh, then he'll read a weird horror, and then a, a lesbian romance. And it's like this guy re- and within a week. So I love wow. authors that have that kind of, you know, it just reads that kind of catalog that they read. So I can only imagine what his short story collection would be like having those kinds of ideas, um, just the diversity in that. Uh, so I, I would read that in a heartbeat. I don't care how much it would be. I hope he writes it someday or anything, but yeah, I, I wish more people read him. He's like my number one. I wish this guy was rich and had all the fame in the world, but I don't think he really cares about that. (laughs) (laughs) Talking to him, he's like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't, it's like, okay, all right, dude. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, he's a man. So that would be, that would be my, uh, my pick. So, so uh, many great wrecks from this episode. I I know. I I was just going to say, so we'll end the episode and I wanted to point out, we didn't, we didn't wreck. No one picked George R. R. Martin. No one picked Pat Rothfuss. no, Tolkien, Craig will delete this episode. He'll never allow it. Um, we did. Uh, who else am I thinking? Yo, know, Scott Lynch, like these major players. I mean, we got Sanderson and Jordan, but I think a lot of our picks. I, I just like kind of our deep wells, and I think another cool thing about this episode. I think it kind of says certain things about each panelist. Not that really many people will care about us, but it's like that's part of oh, the fun of these Lord. episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there's like five people who are like, what is Yeti Beach really into? I know it. I just, Red I is the who likes to read stories about him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> She's actually not Catholic, but she has that sensibility. <laughs> um, I but, like happy things. Oh, I do too, actually. It's just that that's so good. That one story is so good. The more depressing, the better. Just keep it coming. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic. You know, you know what we didn't do? We yep. didn't name our publishing house. I had a name and I couldn't remember. Yeah, each oh, of us. Man. I was thinking so, of one. on the fly. Uh, uh, oh, you can't put me on a spot like this. Uh, <laughs> oh dear lord! Because what? I had a name for. Come up with this little red book, and that does not sound like what <laughs> <laughs> be associated with. Little red book publishing. Mine immediately went to like self-deprecating names like Boar.com, publishing, oh just, um, Yeti beats the rest it. of the competition. I don't know. I, I <laughs> it's terrible. Nothing that would they'd be like, what is this? Clown publishing? Mine <laughs> work, I, think. I think mine would be Panda Paper Pushers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess that's better than pencil pushers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you guys, I'm obviously terrible at naming things. So <laughs> this is not an okay question. <laughs> All right. I feel, I feel oppressed <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not you good at naming be... things at spur of the moment. Yeah. Well, well you should I, be thinking out loud. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's IOL the publishing thing. right there. Go. Yeah, yeah. IOL publishing. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if you haven't checked out their podcast please do inking out loud and they're also on twitter yes please yes i'm super active on twitter um because we'll, we'll like make twitter, you we'll but... make you more active <laughs> yeah, you guys come you know, up with good uh like when they do those contests of, like three funniest characters or whatever you guys always have good selections. Yeah. yeah you know so. what yeah, i you i because Wayne is funny, and I don't care what you no, say. <laughs> no, Drew's a brave yeah, person. I, so I always go out of my way with those to to pick non traditional things. I all I know I'm going to lose in the first round every single time, 
but I don't care because I want people to see mm-hmm. things that they don't normally see. And hopefully if I can get one person out there to be like, Hmm, who's this cane guy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I have accomplished my goal. <laughs> nice. That's what it's all about. I love it. All right. Well, thank you guys for doing this. Uh, thanks to Horizon Brave for setting up Green Team. Thanks for our overlord, Craig, for letting us do this. Um, and my name is Yeti Beats. And thank you to Befuddled Panda, Little Red Book, and Drew from the Inking Out Loud podcast. Yeah, we'll thanks s- for having me. We'll see you That's guys so later. Much fun. Bye. Bye.